0: Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors.
1: Finally, I get to host a Panoramic Outdoors podcast. First one in probably a month. Super pumped to do it. Maybe I did the last one, I can't remember. But this is episode 102, 102, coming at you. And I got my buddy, good friend Chase, sitting across from me. Chase, what's going on tonight?
0: Hey, man. Just uh, happy to be here chatting with you and happy to have a recurring guest on with us tonight. Doug Dern, always Always love chatting with Doug, man. Such an interesting dude.
1: Oh yeah, he can. It's good having him on because he takes over the conversation, and it's good just to sit back, listen, and get some information. Um, but before we get to the Doug Dern interview, Chase, uh did you get some candy at Halloween?
0: Oh man, I'm just stealing my kids' candy.
1: What they <laughs> what they go as?
0: The whole family was Spider Man.
1: Oh right, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that was um. Those family costumes are pretty good. Um I got I gotta tell you about this one. I got my buddy there out in in Calgary and him and his wife have two young kids, like both like two and under. And um they you know, those like those things where you can strap I'm not a father or anything, obviously. So those things where you strap your kids in the front and they're front facing. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, like a kid so, yeah. so each of them was wearing one of them. And then they had helmets on and then these like poles with like a parachute. So it looked like they're like doubling or dueling and pair like parachuting yeah, or yeah jumping on an airplane it was pretty good so that was pretty good one and then uh then my nephew there it was i was talking to him after and he's he's super like i don't even know what he has two maybe just turning to coming up so he's like barely talking and i'm like what'd you go for Halloween?" he's like tiger rawr. so i thought <laughs> that was pretty fucking funny
0: that's awesome
1: yeah um but yeah, other than that, um, Halloween just went by. You guys went to Spider-Man. Have you been out hunting yourself uh, over in your neck of the woods?
0: A little bit of bow hunting. Uh, set up a new tree stand. Tristan sat it the other night. I sat it once. Uh, Tristan did not see anything. Uh, it's funny because I, I linked up with him after and there was this field. The field that we're on, we're seeing probably about a dozen deer on every night. And uh, I was hunting the north side and I'd seen one deer on there, but linked up after the hunt and there was probably like a half dozen coyotes in the bush right where he was sitting. So I was like, well, that's why there's no deer in the bush. So how about you, man? What, uh, what's been happening on your end?
1: Well, since the last podcast that I think we talked about how I shot that doe with my PSE, but, um, with my PSE crossbow. But other than that, I've been sitting quite a bit and I've been sitting a lot in that baronet blind, uh, the one I got from Heights Archery, I really, really like the blind. I think I've talked about a few things I don't like about it. And I I will mention it again. Like it, it, there's nowhere to like, there's no like little like pockets and stuff where you can put branches and kind of like brush it in really nice. So when I do brush it in the wind kind of like blows shit off, which is kind of annoying, but I've been sitting a lot, a lot of spending a lot of time in that blind and uh, seeing deer, lots of deer, not the buck that I want yet um but maybe after talking with Doug Duran on this episode maybe i'll just be shooting whatever stands in front of me next time yeah um, okay no but like, you know like heights archery hooked me up man like i got my bow through them i got my my blind through them i'm very very happy to have them kind of on our panoramic team they they support our podcast like anybody that's listened before knows um heights archery is located in Winnipeg if you ever have a chance to get down to heights archery go down there check them out they got shooting lanes so you can try out bows they got it's not only an archery shop it's kind of like an outdoors hunting outdoors slash hunting shop like they got they got clothing they got targets they got blinds tree stands they got firearms and even ammo so even if you're looking for ammo i know it's there's a shortage around manitoba right now give them give them a try and go on the internet you can go on there google them you'll find them on the internet and you can send them an email and see see if if they have what you're looking for that's heights archery thank you very much to them and everyone down at the shop because uh it goes a long way of supporting the podcast.
0: Yeah, I know I know their their uh, their website's usually pretty up to date there, so heightsoutdoors.com and uh, I got a I got a good review for that baronet net blind that we got from from there. You know, my Tristan took my dad out hunting last weekend and um, my dad's a tall fellow like me and he's, you know, into his late 60s now and he you know we tried squeezing him in that other small ground blind we had last year and it just i barely feel comfortable in there by myself i'm i am in there for an hour my knees are getting sore i'm trying to figure out ways to stretch out and and kind of move around a bit and there's there's just no good way for me to be in there never mind a guy that's sick like in his late 60s and uh so he had said that he came back from hunting with my brother and he's like Man, that blind is sure nice. You can get up, you can stand in there, you can move, you can stretch. There's room for the heater, there's room for your gear, room for another guy. You know, that's the cat's ass is what, what he called it too. So it was, uh, it was a good review to have. And it, the, the cool thing about it is like that that blind is not over, only comfortable for me to hunt in with, with me, my kids, and keep me in the woods longer, but it's going to be keeping him hunting longer with us as well. So super cool.
1: That's super cool, man. I, uh, yeah, I really like it. The size of it's the size of it's perfect. Um, but in other news, the reason why we got Doug Dern on the podcast is, um, if you haven't, if you don't know in Manitoba, we have our first confirmed, uh, chronic wasting disease case. It's very, very concerning. Um, and I think I mentioned it in the podcast too, but like, um, we all got to do our part to, to not only like maybe slow the spread, manage the spread, do whatever we can to to help help the cause so that's why we decided to, to get somebody on if you if you don't know what CWD is we have another episode with uh, Doctor Brian is Brian Kotak yeah did I pronounce that right Kotak
0: uh, I think it's Kotak. Kotick. yeah
1: so you can check that out it's in our catalog uh, it's in like the first I don't know twenty or thirty episodes and we, and in that one we go in depth about CWD or Tristan and Chase did a really good job talking with them and and talking about the prions and like spongiform or spongy brain and goes through um a lot a lot of the stuff we talk about tonight it goes through it more in depth so go and check that one out if you have a, have a minute um but while i'm talking i'm gonna also do an, another quick shout out pay some more bills i gotta thank pip barrel barbecues pip barrel barbecues have been with Panoramic doors for over a year now and we've been using this it's an upright barrel um system smoking system that uses charcoal or briquettes and we've been using it for over, like i said over a year and we're smoking everything from like like wild meats, domestic meats, fruits, vegetables, um, doing taco dips, doing whatever we can in that thing. And every time that we've used it, we've normally have like a nine out of ten or ten out of ten rating on the food that's coming out of it. It's super easy to use. It's inexpensive. And if you want to get in one, I mean it's a 500 dollars bill and you could be set up perfectly. Um I know maybe the barbecue game is uh coming to an end, but the smoking game just doesn't ever seem to stop. You can if you have a Sunday where you can throw something on for a few hours I mean, get into it. But if you're looking to get into a pit Barrel, go to um, Pip Barrel, com. If you're from the United States, you get free shipping. So that's a bonus. And if you're from Canada, they got a map there with all the people that are selling them. So check them out. That's com.
0: Right on, man. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. You know, we chatted a lot, a lot about CWD and, and a lot about what, what can be done um, to. To help manage the CWD in this episode, and something that came up, which is kind of a surprise to me, is is how they locate and and really pinpoint these uh, these locations where where you get the positive deer from. And and Doug had said, you know, down in the states, on X is big to use to really pinpoint. You know, this is exactly where we shot that deer. This is where he's living. So in my mind, right away, it transformed to iHunter has just become oh, com- no, like no kidding eh I, like in addition to everything it already provides for for us is like another resource to not only you know help us out in the woods but now we're talking disease management tactics with with iHunter as well so um if you guys don't know what iHunter is it's it's like a it's uh like having a GPS with your satellite maps on your cell phone and you can use it without cell service and you can share waypoints you can share locations tracks all kinds of stuff and uh, it's an app that you can get Canada wide um, they have a basic map system they have public landowner, or yeah public land or public public land map can't talk tonight and landowner maps that you can purchase as well so Uh, Kind of three different levels of mapping systems there. If you're interested in getting into it and you want to get on some public land maps for a discount, hit the promo code panoramic30 when you head over to their website web.ihunterapp.com and type that in before your purchase and that'll get you 30% off that uh, public land subscription.
1: Yeah, I got a cool story to tell you about the iHunter quickly. Uh, and it has to. It has a lot of uh, has a lot to do with this episode as well, too. But like, I, and I mentioned this on a podcast episode before, and I should really like do a contest and be like, if anyone can tell me what episode that was where I told this story, I'd give you something for free. But I can't think of that. But I remember I was driving to Verdon one day from from Brandon, and I came across a mule deer d- doe in the field, and it was it looked really messed up and i was on my way to work so i like i couldn't really stick around but i ended up phoning like conservation and, and making a report and telling them and um i remember that um i what did i do oh yeah i put a pin down on the field that it was in and i went to work and then i was coming so when at the end of the day i, I met the co officer and i had to show him and it was super easy just to go back to my phone and look for that pin and it was exactly like the land location
2: mm-hmm.
1: um be, because i was on the I already left. And by the time I left the, that dough initially, I couldn't remember where exactly it was. So that's why I met the conservation officer a few hours later on my way home because I didn't write any information down, but I had it in my phone so I could take him right to it. Yeah. But yeah, just a quick little story, just like that easy, you know, you can, if something ever did happen and you need to throw down a pin and you can always go back and reference later.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. So what's, uh, what's, what do you have in the forecast coming up here? You said, uh, I think a lot of snow, apparently. Yeah. First winter storm coming through Manitoba here. Here we go. And that's,
1: I don't know what it is, man. Like, it's for me, it's like I get like feel like a little schoolboy or something. Like, I get super excited when I hear snow in the forecast. It has nothing to do with hunting, but I've always loved snow. I like shoveling snow. And, you know, like, I don't know. I just like snow. And then to add the fact in that it's getting into like, basically getting into this you know like the rut like right in the middle of the rut and to mix some snow in there it's like a recipe for big bucks to show their faces in my mind like I have this like you know this image in my mind I'm going to be hunting on Thursday out of my blind and I'm going to watch a buck come out of the snow and over the hill towards me Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: what I mean it's just like this mystical thing about snow I'm just so excited I cannot wait for the snow.
0: Yeah the deer are a little bit easier to spot in the bush if there's a little layer of snow but the 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 thing I'm looking forward to is just like the tracking abilities because, oh, uh, yeah, the I mean you can see the the physical tracks of the deer, but you can also track blood trails a lot easier than snow most of the time. Um, yeah, and
1: like sorry to cut you off. That's one thing too. In like the hunting area I have, there's um a definite spot where a lot of bucks travel, and when you get that little bit of snow, you can tell when those big bucks are coming and going. And they use like the same kind of like scrape line and it goes from one property to another and it's kind of out in the open. So the only way you can tell that they're, they're using this is when there is a, some snow or even rain. to make some mud.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: I'm very excited. Cause then you'll see, you know, it was like, you're walking from your stands like, Oh, like in the morning, Oh man, last night he must, he crossed here. Like he came through here last night. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you can almost, I'm not saying you can time them better, but you can kind of keep track on what's coming and going too with that snow. Honestly. Yeah.
0: Gets you fired up. Uh, my buddy, uh one of our one of our uh number 1 fans of the the podcast here Brian he ended up getting his first deer first buck big congrats well, to Brian congratulations Brian and uh you know Tristan and I were chatting with him and he had uh he had thought that he maybe made not a great shot on this deer da da da, da, da. and my first thought was like oh man I would hate to be tracking a deer that was not hit very well right now without any snow be so much better two days from now (laughs) so yeah um that's kind of what i'm looking forward to too because you just can't really see where they went and stuff like that at least in snow if you did make a bad hit you know you got tracks to go from right yeah yeah for sure
1: and you know what brian good for you and the thing is like i've shot you know i'm not saying thousands of deer but there's always that thought in my mind it's like oh man was that a good shot so um but it's awesome that you found your first year and you got your first year. Now you get to enjoy the yeah the fruits of it.
0: Nice little buck, man. Nice little buck.
1: But speaking of snow, comes with cold weather. Yeah. What do we do for cold weather, Chase? Ooh. what not you tell
0: everyone? Got to layer up, baby. Layer up. <laughs> merino wool, to be specific. And uh, if you listen to the podcast before, you know what we're talking about. We'll love uh, merino wool under layers. Um, we've been wearing them for over a year now. And it's a game changer, man. I remember, oh man, last year, last fall, I was going in, snow on the ground already, going, setting up a new stand, sweating my ass off because I'm all layered up for the cold weather and I'm climbing a tree. I'm screwing in pegs. I'm cutting trees and I'm up in the tree. I'm half out of shape, maybe fully out of shape. I don't know what you want to call it, but not in great shape for hanging tree stands. (laughs) So I'm, I'm getting heated up and sweating and I sat down and I thought, you know what, we'll see how long I'm going to last up here before I get the chills. But it was, it was almost an instant transition from, from my body sweating to cool to my body, you know, going back to warming itself. And there wasn't really a second where I actually got cold. It was like, mm-hmm. I was still, I could tell I was damp a little bit, but I was still getting warm. And then eventually I was dry and dry and warm. No big deal. Yeah. yeah. I didn't I didn't shoot a deer that day, so, but I did I did get to spend uh, the full day in the tree stand, which was exactly what I wanted to do. So
1: you finish your ad read, so I can tell this story now.
0: Yeah, if you guys uh, are interested in getting <laughs> some wool love, head over to their website wool.love. That is their website wool love. They got all kinds of stuff there, not only underlayers, but they also have like polo shirts, regular uh, crew neck shirts, lady stuff. They have um underwear socks long underwear zip like quarter zip up uh underwear and the more you buy the more you save get yourself a bundle save a bundle perfect timing for christmas so check them out World out love
1: yeah you mentioned right there perfect time for christmas um if you don't know somebody that likes to go hiking or is like does those outdoor activities whatever it may be that's like the perfect christmas present because they'd appreciate it because it's going to keep them warm but the thing is when it comes to rifle hunting, it comes to late season hunting, Manitoba, no matter where you are in Canada or in the States, um, late season hunting is cold weather. And the one thing that I always struggled with was getting sweated up and getting cold. So the wool love thing, man, that's changed. Like honestly, like that's changed the game for me because um a little bit of sweat, I'm not even scared about anymore. So the like till at one time before I started wearing merino wool, I was like literally walking across the field and like you know, your pants and then like a sweater, putting a jacket in my backpack. And then when I get to my spot, making all that noise, putting my jacket on. But now I'm just like, I'm good to go. So yeah. Merino wool is fucking awesome.
0: Yeah. It's-
1: but to get to um, get to the podcast, before we get to the podcast, um, this um the CW thing, we're going to circle back to that probably a million times in this episode. Um But yeah, it is in Manitoba. Um So that, that's the reason why we wanted to get this this podcast together um i hope you take it, take everything that you can from it and and keep moving forward with it um but i think that should be about it we should maybe
0: yeah one, one thing i want to say too before we get into it here and and one thing that i i kind of want ringing in people's ears throughout while they're listening to this while they're thinking about cwd and what maybe what your involvement is going to be here in the in the near future and uh you know there's there's a lot of people i'm sure that are on the fence about sh- ah, maybe I won't get my deer tested, I'm too lazy, whatever it might be. Um, We were chatting with Doug off air a little bit, and uh, he said he, you know, has been mentioning this a lot, although he forgot to mention it while we were recording, but the gist of what he said was, I'd rather do all that we could and figure out that we did too much than done not enough and figured out that we could have done more. So... Mm -hmm think about that when we're talking CWD CWD management strategies. And uh, yeah, we hope we take something away from this one.
1: Right on. So today we've got a returning guest. He's been on here before and we talked a little bit about uh, land management, wildlife management, CWD. And just recently in Manitoba, we've had our first case of CWD. So we thought, who better to call up, get on the line, Mr. Doug Dern. How's it going today, buddy?
4: Hey, very good to be back. I'm sorry about the circumstances, but, uh, it's probably inevitable. Um, yeah. And, um, uh, I think that, um, yeah, so it's a good time to get back in touch and talk a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that's right. And that's, uh, one of the biggest things about our podcast is spreading information and, uh, Hopefully the right information to anybody that's listening, but how we're going to start out tonight, Doug is we're going to do the five burning questions. I think you're familiar with them last time we hit you with a, with a few good ones. And I got a few good ones again tonight. I, so.
4: I would like to announce though, that I, I've not seen these questions. ahead. Of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but since it was just Halloween, our first question is pretty easy, but what is your uh, favorite Halloween treat?
4: <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I kind of like those little, uh, hundred thousand dollar bars oh yeah a little candy bar you know they're kind of chewy but a little crunchy chocolatey yeah that's
1: the best of all the worlds yeah um second question if you had a dream hunting rig or a dream hunting vehicle um what would it be maybe you already have it
4: <laughs> i have a right now i have a 2009 toyota uh, tacoma extended box nice. um there's times that I think I should have something a little bit bigger, but uh, um, you know, I I also have a Can-Am. Shout out oh, okay. to my friends there in in Canada. Um, I have the uh, the long box. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. Like thing,
1: an but, EXT or something like that probably. Yeah,
4: but it's like, it's it's the far, long farm box. It thinks great. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess I I, um, I like my buddy Stan's F one fifty. Crew cab, um, I just, shit, I'll just get in whatever the hell there is and we'll go hunt.
3: <laughs>
0: whatever gets that's your fun. job done. Yeah, that's right.
1: Right on. Question number three is kind of a two-part question, but what do you prefer, hunting whitetail out of a tree stand or a ground blind? And the second part of that would be just, would you rather be pushing bush or sitting and watching?
4: Huh, that's what you call it up there, huh? Pushing bush. Pushing. What do you guys um, call it? You know, what's interesting. Um, we call it mooching. But um, (laughs) uh, at least what we call it on the Duran farm. Um, I'll I'll say this. I have um, my, I, one of my favorite places to sit is just on a leading up against a garden tree somewhere sitting on the ground. But it is nice to have a little something on your bottom so you don't get, uh, so you don't get wet. But I go up in tree stands. I use ground blinds. I even have some insulated blinds. Um, elevated insulated blinds and I like those too it kind of depends on on what you're doing what the day's like what the wind's like Um, for me um, on the farm I can't believe I'm you you know you're asking me to be specific so I'm giving you all the generalities but I like them all I guess it's sort of like a thing about the truck Um, so yeah either one and then what was your your what was the second question if you
1: like pushing bush or just sitting
4: oh yeah pushing bush or mooching well we call it mooching. I like um <clears throat> I like a little of both I, I like still hunting a lot mm. and this mooching thing that we do is this kind of a combination of both of those things we uh, uh, if you get uh, renella's uh, book uh, the Meat Eater guide to big game hunting I wrote an article about it in there and um, remember, this is farm country, and most of my experience is hunting uh, farm country. Although I've hunted some, you know, like some of the woods up north and that kind of thing, and you can sort of do the same thing. And I think that's what you got. What you're calling pushing a bush is more of a traditional deer drive here, where everybody just kind yeah, of, yeah. you just like really bang through it, make sure you're getting everybody out of there. Whereas the moochin thing is more like coordinated stand and still hunting.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: and that's, uh honestly that's kind of my favorite way i mean i i'll go out and sit all day i enjoy that too um I just like being out there man yeah and the next question
1: might be a little tricky but you, know, you might have to think about this one been a little tricky
4: bit. so far man this is a hard <laughs> question.
1: number four if you could take one person hunting that has never hunted before just to show them what it is all about who would that person be
4: wow Somebody never hunted before. This has to be a living or dead person.
1: It could be anybody. This is uh, five burning questions. It can go anywhere.
4: Hmm. Man, that one you should have sent to me ahead of of time. (laughs) But right now I'll say Barack Obama.
1: There you go. And our last question, um, when you're sitting back having uh, an after hunt drink or whatever, what do you like better, the campfire or the wood stove?
4: I really like being outside around campfire
1: yeah there's something totally different about it eh? yeah
4: yeah
1: the, the thing for me too is like um i'm i love moose hunting in the far north so when you get back to camp and get that that uh wood stove like glowing red hot to try to warm up it's it's a cool feeling too but...
4: yeah um so are you hunting out of a tent then or a wall yeah, tent? yeah like
1: prospector yeah wall tent oh, yeah. a lot of times nice. yeah yeah so it's super fun that way too But let's carry on to the meat and potatoes of the podcast and we're going to talk a little bit about CWD. Um, Before we get started though, Doug, maybe you can just break it down quickly on what CWD is um, for any of our listeners that might not be uh, following what it is and what it's doing to uh, cervids or whitetail, elk, moose, uh, whatever it may be.
4: Okay. Um, Well, CWD is chronic wasting disease. It is a uh, the fancy term is it's a transferable spongiform encephalopathy. Um, essentially, what that means is that is it a disease that can be passed animal to animal, and <clears throat> so that's the transferable part. Spongiform is a description of what it actually does to the animal's brain, and it, uh, and I believe encephalopathy also needs, means that it's in the brain. So. Uh, transferable sponge forms encephalopathy. so disease that is communicable disease that passes between animals so far uh, in the whitetail world, just between, um, I'm sorry, not just whitetails, but in the cervid world, uh, between um, various cervids, um, which are, you're right, moose, elk, mule deer, whitetail deer, um, reindeer, caribou, um, and uh Simply put, um, it when a animal gets this disease, once you have it in an area, you have it um, not permanently, but for a very long time. We don't actually know how long it stays around. So once you have it, you've got it. And um, an animal that in in your area, if an animal gets it, they will die from it in about two years. Um, The last, the first. The first 20 months of that 22 months of that um there's really no uh outside no clinical signs of that deer has it but when it's called when you the, the phrase ex- describes it in the last couple of months and then it's chronic wasting disease so what happens is the animal actually wastes away what happens is there's a misfolded we all have these all mammals have these are prions and uh it's a protein that's in our body so it's not a living thing it's very odd I mean, I, you know, I'm not a scientist, so to describe all of this stuff properly is uh, it's kind of interesting, but to do it into to try is difficult to do. But to put it in a common terms, it's not a living thing, so it's not like a virus or a or a fungus or um, you know anything that we can we commonly think of when we think about things like you know, colds or um, yeah, stuff in, in animals like uh, EHD or blue tongue, something that ends up being, um, kind of comes in and then is gone. Um, you know, you get the flu, you get rid of it. Um, in, the, in the case of uh, CWD, once an animal gets it, they don't get rid of it. And it will um, it will kill them. But the other part of it is is that it also is transferable during that period of time. So an animal that doesn't look sick for 22 months, is still casting off these prions, these misfolded prions. You know, it's not, they're not, they're not infected prions, but they actually transfer to another, uh, another animal. Um, in human terms, there is a disease called Kreutzfeldt-Jakob's disease. And that is a similar, um, it is the human form of a prion disease. Um, and uh, one case of it, one variant of it was a, uh, in the um, south pacific islands where there was a cannibal tribe who there were cannibals in that they ate their um uh, dead as they uh, as an honor to them and that was how they got it you may have remember you may remember something called mad cow disease and mad cow disease was a prion based of transferable sponges and form encephalopathy that was being transferred from cows to cows and it also jumped to the species barrier and went to humans as well. Um, as I said, all, or maybe I didn't, all mammals have prions. So um, it's in, in a class of diseases called zoonic diseases that um, could, um, like mad cow, that it could transfer from animals to uh, humans. Um, and it's a very mysterious disease. They don't know exactly how it's transferred, but it seems to be transferred through urine, feces, nose-to-nose contact, um, uh, uh, saliva, um, and that seems to be, they don't know exactly how it's taken up, but that seems to be the, the way that it um, is um, transferred. So um, once you have it in your area, you um, the concern is managing it. It's almost like any other disease. Can we think of anything that's happened recently in humans yeah. where we're trying to mitigate <laughs> and manage a disease? Hell oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's based some, a lot of it's common sense. How you, um, you, you begin to uh, think about, about the disease. It's like, Oh, why were, why was, why does there seem to be a higher point when, when CWD happens? Why does there seem to be more of it in high population areas? Well, you Know almost in any case, we um, we know that the higher a population, the higher concentration of people or animals, the easier it is for stuff to get spread around. It's like, you know, kids aren't sick all summer, they go back to school, and they're all you know, you got a bunch of kids in a, in a school it's they're crowded together, or they're, they're they are together, and suddenly kids start getting sick. So, it's the same concept as that.
1: Yeah, is that pretty everybody- good? Yeah, that was very good. And a little bit of the history on it. And maybe you might know, Doug, uh, it was in Colorado where it started at like a man-made facility. Was it Fort Collinsworth? or?
4: Yeah, so it was identified in Colorado, yeah, yeah. in a facility okay. in Colorado. It was not, um, or not. It, well, I suppose it's, that's the first place where it was um, identified. So did it start there in that facility? Hard to say. Um, a common um, spongiform transferable spongiform encephalopathy is scrapie's in sheep, and scrapies have been around for a long, long time, and including in the West. Is it possible that there was a change or a mutation there that that um, uh, mule deer in that case or or elk picked up? Um, that's possible. We don't know how it exactly originated in any conspiracy theory to the outside to the contrary to that is just plain wrong. So when you see the thing about um in, in uh, the, the lab and or the research facility in Colorado remember that's where it was identified not necessarily where it originated. Yeah. Um, so um but yeah in in 19, the 19 late 1960s we've had it in Wisconsin for uh Big anniversary, 21 years, 22 years. Um, We've had it longer than that. It was identified that many years ago, um, 21 or 22 years ago, about 75 miles south of me. Um, And it has has grown in prevalence and spread geographically since that time. There's a series of, you can go to the USGS Wildlife Health Center um, and look at the Emerging Disease Section, USGS, well, it's the United States Geological Survey, Wildlife Health Center, it actually happens to be centered in Madison, and Brian Richards, who is a world renowned, he's the Emerging Disease Coordinator there, and certainly is world known around the world for his work on all kinds of emerging diseases, has done some great work with CWD, including um, a series of maps that shows you where where it was originally identified in various places and how quickly it spread. Um, so, so that's where we're at.
0: I, that's I, where we're at. I just want to butt in here for a second. And I just, if anyone's wondering why we have Doug on is that, like you said, Doug, you've been, you've been living in, uh, in Wisconsin your entire life. And Wisconsin's had CWD for 22 years, approximately now and Mm -hmm. uh you've you've been one of the folks that have 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 been really taking some action on this disease as well so that's kind of why we really wanted to have you on yeah i
4: appreciate appreciate that i think that um this is what i can offer to you and your listeners um just slight correction i've actually lived in a lot of different places but a, a big part of my life in wisconsin um I grew up here, five, five generations in, in this area where I now return to—I've um, been uh, living near here for quite a while, but the last four years moved back. Um, uh, so we have a 430-acre farm. Um, I control about 640 acres for hunting on our farm and some adjacent property. Um, manage that property, um, our farm especially, for conservation. Um, Hunting is a part of conservation. Conservation is not a part of hunting. I mean, it's obviously that case, but I think that too much emphasis sometimes is put on hunting, and I would rather see the emphasis put on conservation. Um, So I can speak to my experience and, uh, you know, in my perspective on chronic wasting disease, given the... Length of time I've been dealing with it. I've been living in Wisconsin. i moved back to Wisconsin. I've been living here for I don't know, thirty-one years or thirty-two years, um, and uh, certainly was here here when uh, chronic wasting disease was uh, discovered, um, and so. Our farm is on the northern edge of the original chronic wasting disease management zone in southwest Wisconsin. I really would encourage everybody to go ahead and look at um, the Wildlife Health Center. You can see um, our area, and you can go to my website, uh, DougDurin.com. It's a real hard one to remember, Um, D-U-R-E-M. DougDurin.com, and there's a section in there about CWD, and I post some, I think, some important stuff in there. But yeah, so... Before yeah, we, we could, get too could, far, could with it. before
1: we get too far ahead here, and Chase kind of touched on it there, and that's exactly like yeah, like we said, we wanted to get you on. You've um, basically the disease is like sixty years old, and you you've kind of maybe lived in uh, when it came to Wisconsin for the, like for one third of it coming into Wisconsin, and what I guess how I wanted to get it started tonight is what was that initial effect? I mean, like for us in Manitoba and even for Canada, for Manitoba, a it's only you know three or four weeks old. We were trying to be proactive and, and putting in certain things to, you know, slow the spread, blah, 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 or it crossing this imaginary border. We didn't want that to happen. And finally it has, but there's not much information other than what we have for ourselves. So that's why we thought we'd get Doug on from Wisconsin. Who's been kind of living with it for quite a while, 20 some years. Can you kind of maybe go through how it, how you know of it coming into Wisconsin what you guys tried to do at the start. And then maybe like kind of just how that evolved until today.
4: Sure um it was discovered in free-ranging deer near mount horrib wisconsin like i said that the south of me and some person literally saw a deer that looked like it was wasting away and that was how it was discovered um is the kind of thing that that you know folks concerned folks about wildlife do they saw a sick animal and they called um animal control i think that um DNR, Wisconsin DNR had been doing, well, I know this, that they've been doing some monitoring. It's called surveillance testing previous to that. Um, And uh, so that was in free ranging deer. Um, Bigger question or another question is worth asking is when was it in penned deer in Wisconsin? Wisconsin has over 350 um, captive cervid facilities um, from very small ones to really quite large ones. and uh, they, if uh, they are certainly one of the places where CWDs exists. I mean, we were talking about the place in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado. Yeah, it was a um, you know a government facility there, um, sort of like a farm though. Um, and there had been some previous things uh, work done with other animals there before. But deer farms are it's very they, they raise deer the way I raise cattle, and in fact, they don't even raise them. They, they can find them much more than I can find my cattle. In fact, my cattle are having having greater opportunity to roam around than most deer do. So if you crowd animals into an area, and there is one that's diseased, it passes very quickly. Um, so how it got here, we don't know, but we do know that it's getting spread around by a number of things. One of them is in the back of trucks from deer farms. Another is <clears throat> from carcasses being um, moved around the countryside and who knows that may have been how it got here originally that heck when i was a kid um i mean i was a kid kid uh, before i was going hunting my dad um he used to deer hunt up north but he he took i suppose three trips when i was a kid out west uh, went to wyoming and they brought whole animals back you know they brought whole mule deer back and whole elk back and it's just what you did you know you killed these things you hung them up you got And had that, um, now what we know now, is that in the spinal column and the brain and the lymph glands and all the things, all the stuff that you throw out, right? Um, uh, Had a infected animal been brought back to Wisconsin and after butchering that would have uh, was uh, discarded, that could have been one of the ways. We also know that cervids, deer, elk, um, certainly deer and elk, white-tailed deer and elk, been get moved around the countryside in the back of uh, trucks because they are, even though they are, uh, <clears throat> um, we think of a wild animal. They're also a, um, a farm animal or livestock, and uh, that's where this whole thing gets tricky with the uh, with the deer farms and that sort of thing. So how it got here, we're not sure. But if you can look at the uh, you can look at the maps, and, and and I don't think it's coincidental that there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of CWD and wild deer around captive cervid facilities um, in Wisconsin and in other parts of the country. Um, and so that's, an, you know, that's another way. But um, as I said, um, how one animal affects, uh, infects the other happens the same in whether it's a captive deer or a wild deer.
0: Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's still okay. you're still looking for that contact. You're still looking for the some way to transfer that disease, right, between right. wild deer and, and captive deer. And then if some something happens to a captive deer and that that those um, discarded parts aren't discarded properly, burn away that would that would manage any disease transfer <laughs> there. They can really whatever get eaten by coyotes birds and get spread around the countryside like that. Right.
4: Yeah, that can happen too. So, right. There's, I mean, it's important to, uh, to, to discuss all these possibilities and all these, you know, these ways it gets moved around because the number one thing that we can do, we, we don't have a way of, 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 there's no, uh, vaccine for chronic wasting disease. There's no, um, uh, there's there's nothing, we don't have a silver bullet to stop it. So all we can do is control it and manage it. So what I like to say is if you don't have it, you don't want it. And if you do have it, you want it as little as possible. That being the case, you need to act accordingly. And that's where, again, things get a little complicated. But I think if you can go into some of this thinking about this is a horrific disease. Everyone should be concerned about this disease. I wrote an article for Meat Eater, I don't know, three years ago or something. You can go back there and look it up, um, where I made the argument that animal rights activists should be concerned about chronic wasting disease because it's a horrific disease. And it's just, it, when you see a deer with it, it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. It's an animal that's wasting away, it's drooling, it's on the edge of dying, right? And this goes on for six to eight weeks so if you're concerned about animal welfare you should be concerned about it um i think the general public should be uh, concerned about it just from who wants a uh who wants a disease on the landscape that's in, in parts of wisconsin are infecting half of the herd um half of members or more than half of members of the of the herd um we got prevalence in, in some areas around here at um, 55% in, in bucks and 35% in does. And if we, you're, we're going to get to a tipping point. Think about, I don't know what it's like where you are, but if you go out and drive around in some of those areas south of us down here, where that prevalence is that high, you might see on a drive around the countryside, you might see 100, 150 deer. Well, you know up to half of those deer are carrying a disease that they're spreading to other ones. And then... When that and then they begin to die, you will see you will see dead deer when prevalence gets high enough. The the kind of the insidious thing about chronic wasting disease, it's not like something like um, blue tongue EHD where you know midge bites them and a whole bunch of deer die at once. Um, at one pl- and they all you know they tend to get really thirsty, so they get around water and then that's so you find you know you see this big impact. As soon as it freezes and that midge dies, that disease stops too you know, maybe you come back another day, but it's no longer there. It's not in the ground. It's not, you know, anything. Whereas that's not the case with um, uh, CPD. Ask another question, man. I, I,
0: keep, I think keep a no, I'm going to slide in here quick too. And you're talking about like how your deer populations are there. And that's, that's one of the scary things for me when I think about the timing of this disease entering the province. and And maybe this probably has something to do with uh, how it got here in the transmission, but from my perspective, our deer population is is very very good right now. It's coming back. If probably about uh, eight years ago we had uh, huge winter kill and deer populations were pretty much at a couple decade low, and now the deer herd is is you know you can drive around the countryside and literally see like you said, hundred couple hundred deer in some spots in Manitoba here, so my fear is that this stuff is going to spread faster than we think it is. And, uh, that's kind of why I was really concerned thinking about this now too.
1: I was going to kind of echo chaser and maybe just come on to the next question is like, um, Wisconsin found their first CWD positive case. So what were some of the things that you guys did as a state to, to slow spread at the start? And was there anything that if you could go back to, you know, 18 years ago, 20 years ago, what would you have done differently?
4: If we could go back to 20 years ago, I would say, knowing what we know now, just the pure understanding of the disease and what it does um, and how, how it can spread. I mean, you remember, I mean, you know, the thing, how science works is you get data, right? So some of this was speculative. Let me give you this is sort of typical of Southwest Wisconsin, and I think this is fairly important perspective. Eighty-five percent of the county in which I live, Richland County, and it's pretty much throughout the Driftless Area. Eighty-five percent, eighty-five percent of my county is considered deer habitat based on, you know, the, the what white deer need for habitat. Um, a lot of farmland, a lot of it's you know a lot of mixed hardwoods, rolling hills, wetlands, everything that they absolutely could want. Plus you know, uh, agricultural crops, 85% of the county is, is that habitat. 95% of the county is privately owned. Um, the number of deer per, um, square mile in my, of habitat in my county is 65, 60 to 65. That's on average across the county. You do, you know, and you start thinking, well, I know you guys I know you guys you guys use that metric system up there and everything, but down here we you know we to our we're sticking to the old ways. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so a section of land is a square mile, and essentially that's what I control. So a square mile, six hundred and um, six hundred and forty acres. Six hundred
1: and
4: forty. I was gonna say six hundred and twenty, but six hundred and forty acres. Um, and that's about how much we control. Is there six are there sixty-five deer on that right now out there? Um Maybe, there may be less, there may be more, depending on the, the day and all of that. When we average it across the county, that many deer. So that's just a pure number. Well, what does that mean? Well, is there, you, you guys have probably talked with other folks about carrying capacity. You know, I remember saying this to Steve Rinella one time, he said, we have too many deer. He goes, really, from whose perspective? And, um, you know, if you're a deer hunter, he's like, can there be too many deer? Well, actually there can be, and we can go into that whole, you know, it depends on what you're looking for in deer, but if you're a guy who wants to go out on an opening day, doesn't want to really put the time in being hunted, you know, hunting and sort of understanding what's going on and, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, in your area and all of that, and you want to go out there and sit on a stump opening day and say 65, see 65 deer or something, which we had years that were like that. Um, there aren't too many deer, right? I mean, if you you want to go out and see deer when you go out hunting. Um, I think people who are true hunters and who are taking the time to understand the ecosystem that they're hunting in will begin to look at things like um, too many deer means there's damage to the ecosystem. In our case, it's damage to the understory in our forests. Okay. Um, but because we have all these crops, I mean, this is, big farmland we grow a lot of deer we grow them big and we grow them fast i mean we killed we just killed a five-year-old buck and um on the on the farm and uh, you know weighed 225 pounds just a just a oh. hog and um i mean i know you guys get bigger deer than that up up there but um that's a big deer for around here and i mean he was like that he's probably that big last year as far as weight goes right Big 160 inch rack. I mean, just a perfect specimen. You can go on my Instagram and see pictures of them at Doug Duran. Anyway, um, so the question is what does that mean when we say we have too many deer? And well, then the other, so, you know, that's one of them is imbalance with the ecosystem. And then, if you have too many deer, you tend to have you have too many animals on a feedlot. If you had too many animals on your pasture, disease is easier to happen. You have too many people in a city, you have too many kids in the school, you know, all those things. And so it's just that kind of that common sense part of it, right? So it makes sense that we control population to control disease, because if we have animals, fewer animals means fewer less contact, it will help slow the, the disease won't spread as fast. Um And then we can discuss, um, demographics about what kind of deer you should be shooting. And what I've been telling people around here, because of the huge numbers that we have, um, is you shoot the deer that's in front of you. Um, and, and, and which can be a little bit difficult, you know, if you're someone who's interested in waiting for a a big buck or whatever, I'm, I'm not chastising people who, um, hunt in cwd areas for uh you know passing on a young buck i'm just saying let's make sure we're filling our buck tags because we only get one um but let's make sure we're filling those tags um uh why do do you think the why do you think the
0: bucks have a higher prevalence of uh cwd than the does do
4: i bet you can answer that question (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it's basic deer behavior right um bucks in general are the ones who are moving around amongst the herd um especially at this time of the year you know we're, we're like high balls in the rut right now and um, they're the ones going from area to area check and dose. and who are the ones that are most likely to be doing that those are the younger bucks who are like they don't like they don't really know what's going on yet i mean it's kind of part of it do you think about them as like uh you know, they're immature, I and mean, you can think about those in human terms, too. But the younger animals tend to be the ones that move more. The older animals tend to stay in one spot. I, you know, I remember, I remember when I was a kid, I used to bang around a lot more, you know, move around the countryside <laughs> and go out and visit people. And, you know, when I was single, uh, you know, would go far and wide for uh, the opportunity for a, a good time and, a, you know, on a date and that kind of stuff. But um, married man doesn't do that, right? Spends, spends a not. lot more time at home, um, and or, or an older guy, for that matter. I've got some older, older friends who older male friends, and those guys are like, "Yeah, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not going out to for whatever <laughs> reason, right?" So there's some of that. Um, so some of it's just pure. You know, I don't know why I keep bringing this back to human analogies, but um, but there's some of that behavior. Right, I mean, it's just that that bucks do that. Younger bucks do that. Um, does and uh, matriarchal groups, which you you guys have probably seen up there too, where you get that doe and she's got a fawn, uh, a uh, you know, a daughter from a couple of years ago, and you'll see that group of five or six antlerless deer. Right, well, they're probably all related, and they're not going far and wide. Some of them are. You know, young buck gets kicked out of the um, gets kicked out, so he's off in search new territory. And even more so, if there's a high population, you'll get kicked out of a high population looking for a, a place for, you know, um, where maybe there's less population striking out to new territory. So what we are finding, and I mean, it's basic tail research, is that the, the deer who tend to travel, on, you know, generally travel the furthest, you know, nothing's absolute, um, generally travel the furthest are the younger deer. So they're the ones who take it from existing areas and spread it to new areas
1: huh that's super interesting and you know you touch on a couple other things that i kind of want to circle back to but um like one of the things that i think that we're kind of getting to is to slow the spread or whatever you want to call it um is one thing we got to do is maybe hunt more or shoot more deer that stand in front of you one thing that you mentioned that 95 percent of the property in wisconsin is private out of 85 percent of the deer territory so there's a lot of different influences there to try to even to get out hunting um was this when cwd was detected in wisconsin would did that ever come into play where where a lot of landowners were like yeah sure or like were they educated like is that something that maybe manitoba should like you said everyone should be learning about it but even just as a landowner that has no interest in hunting maybe that's something we need to be advocating to them as well
4: absolutely that's a really good that, that was a good point i would i would have gotten to that eventually too but um you can imagine that in an area where 95% of the land is owned by, you know, private uh, individuals and enterprises that if, if the, the, the Department of Natural Resources is going to implement some kind of a management strategy, they're either going to have the, well, they're going to have to have the cooperation of the landowners, or they're going to have to force them to do it. And what um, happened originally in Wisconsin is there was an outbreak area. Um, it was called the, you know, the CWD, and they ended up calling it the eradication zone. And because there had been um, some success with eradicating the disease, um, they, the, the long and short of it is, you get one shot at not of stopping it, right? Like it's like a hot spots, like a fire, you know, grass fire or any kind of fire. You get a chance to stomp out a little bit of a fire, it doesn't become a bigger one. Um, And so in order to do that in deer, in the deer world, what they did in south uh, south of us down here is they tried to kill pretty much every deer in an area. And when you start talking about 65 deer per square mile of habitat, you're talking about tens of thousands of deer, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, I actually have a friend, he's become a deer friend of mine. He no longer works for the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. He's one of the sharpshooters. He quit deer hunting after a while um nope. after i mean he just shot deer after deer after deer after
0: deer yeah well they had uh mm-hmm. the action plan from 2019 from what they have here um and they, they haven't said what their real plan is to do besides monitor and test right now but they said they from 2019 here they got a 20 kilometer target zone so which would be what was that about 16 miles 14 miles Square radius, miles kind sure. of the, radius yeah, radius an area
4: around where it was originally
0: discovered. Complete depopulation of all surveys. So whether or not they're gonna put that into play yet is unknown, but they said for five years there is was what their plan was then. And the kind of scary thing is that's good elk country over there too, and moose country, I think. So
4: mm-hmm. yeah. There's uh it's a big old pill, it's bitter, and it's a real hard one to swallow.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so how did, how did that work out for you guys there?
4: Not worth the shit, <laughs> um, to be, to be, to be frank about it. Um, so what happened was our, our policy, um, failed, but not because it was the wrong policy. It, it, it failed because the public in that area eventually grew tired of it and didn't want to do it. We had a thing called Ernabuck. It's the single best um, deer population control tool that there is. Now, think about that area. Think about an area that has a disease and it's kind of an unknown quantity as to how much there is. You guys, you don't know that. You know, I mean, if you've got it, you don't know how much you have yet. Mm-hmm. They're working on those numbers, right? So the first thing you got to do is figure out how how widespread it is. So they're taking. It's really important. One of the things I'll tell you something you need to learn is how to read a damn map or an app on your phone you need to know exactly where you were when you killed that deer or elk or moose or whatever you guys are in you know, the area of service you're hunting so that you can pinpoint that location um i happen to use onyx maps i, mean, I don't know if they have the canadian one but
0: we got eye we hunter up p- here yeah say, well i mean we much. get
4: you get exact location yeah. and here it's called township section range or, or longitude latitude works too it's exact location so uh they had mandatory testing down there they were killing all kinds of deer they weren't even um mandatory testing in some areas but then when they were just trying to um i don't want to contradict myself when they were just trying to kill a lot of deer they they were only testing because it, <laughs> it takes a lot they were discarding deer Putting him in trailers, taking them in an incinerator and burning them up. The sports person in me, um, the hunter in me, the uh, person who honors the animal that I hunt really objected to that. And I can understand why people objected to that, right? It was, uh, so people said draconian. Well, draconian measures for, you know, it's desperate measures for a desperate situation. You get one chance to, to wipe it out. Um, and it, it has been, was successful in New York State. Um, there's some background to that. that, I, that is, But they, they were able to, uh, what they thought they, they've done is eradicate the disease um, where it pops up in New York State. But it had to do with the herd and where they came from. But they were able to do it. So there's a model where it did happen. But again, if you start talking about how many animals we're talking about, I can tell you how many animals a 20-yard dumpster holds. Um, I mean, it doesn't take long that you create enormous piles of animals and nobody wants to see them wasted. But in order to have that first shot, they kind of had to do it that way. Um, It's an area where there's a lot of um, land that is owned specifically for recreation and and hunting, private land. And so you've got people from the city or wherever or local, you know, people who live out there too, who are very into deer hunting. So if you tell somebody, well, here's what's going to happen: we're going to wipe all the deer out in this area, and your deer hunting is going to be worth a shit for a while. But you know, you're doing the right thing. But I mean, that's essentially the that's it, right? That's the pill. Um, you can imagine how that became a little bit unpopular. So the education part of it is really important. Um, if you had come to me 20 years ago and said, "Hey, Duren, we're going to have to kill every deer on your farm and everywhere in the area," I'd have had some questions about it. 20 years later, I was like, "Let's get started," because mm-hmm. um, I do see where you have one chance to get it now. What's happening instead um, is that we're trying to manage the disease. Um, we are in the—I've I've been my farm's been in the CWD management zone since the whole thing started, um, but I didn't have a positive CWD deer for 15 years of that of that 20 year period of time we had our first one five years ago um so it took a while for that disease to travel that far and it travels faster in high populations with a younger demographic
3: Hmm.
4: um uh bucks and does that in the areas in the endemic areas the older deer the ones that are most likely to be positive okay so you have an area where it's concentrated those the older deer are more apt to be positive but when you get out to those fringes it's the younger deer because they're the ones who are leaving that core and taking it further out Mm -hmm. example of the duran farm we have five we've had five positives in this is the fifth year but really it's those almost all those deer were in the four years we killed 125 deer in four years holy yeah um we i try to kill half the deer on the farm every year no kidding yeah Wow. We'll kill, uh, we'll kill 30, 35 deer. I'd kill more. I mean, I, I don't, people say, well, how many is it? keep shooting?
2: Yeah.
4: Um, there are so, we're not going to run out of white deer. I can <laughs> tell you that.
2: Yeah.
4: You're not going to run out of white tailed deer. They are the, you know, um, and, and that's one of the things that DNR got wrong, or at least the scientists or what the sportsmen remember or sports people remember that, Oh, they got that wrong. They said 20 years from now, the deer were going to be, we're going to have a huge crash of deer. Well, we haven't had that. Although there are areas that have had um, population-level impacts, the bigger impact, though, is that because in the in the high concentration areas, the endemic areas, the older deer are the ones who um, who are apt to have it because it takes a while for one of them. They, they, you know, it, it's being spread around, but it takes a while for it to get spread around. So it tends to be an older deer. It's just like I can tell you this, being 62 years old, fellas, stuff goes wrong a hell of a lot more with you when you're 62 than when you're 32. Um, And so this isn't, that's similar to this, right? It's just that much more exposure, you know, everything. But what then begins to happen as prevalence levels go up and you have more does that are positive, well, what's the first thing a doe does when she drops a fawn on the ground? She starts licking it. I don't know if you guys are. I'm, farm, I'm a farm guy, you know, that's oh, yeah. what happens, you know, that's what animals do. Um, maybe they're passing it in vitro to them as well, so does a CWD-positive doe have a CWD-positive fawn? It sounds like not necessarily, um, but they have two ways of being exposed. One is in vitro, and then the other one is just by the the constant grooming that a mother does to its fawn. Um, and so in those groups, in those areas where you have high concentrations of deer and then a bunch of these, you know, these family groups I'm talking about, one of them gets it, it gets spread around. They don't necessarily all get it, but boy, we don't know what the high, the top end of it is. There were people in this state who were hired by this state um, as a deer czar who said, oh, it'll top off at 10%. Well, we're at 25%. Of deer tested in counties and in, in prevalence testing areas, it's over 35% in dose and 55% in bucks. Um, that's recipe for disaster. You know, it's mm-hmm. at some point what happens is, and this is what's happening as you get further, uh, as the, the disease spreads. And a lot of this is anecdotal, but the research, the numbers, the data backs it up well. But I can talk anecdotally better than, than anything else. You can go on the Wisconsin DNR website um, search CWD prevalence maps, and they they show you. And then there's these charts and everything show you how fast it spread and where and all that. And then then the most the best visual again is just watching that video that the Wildlife Health Center put together um, about how fast how it grows and and, and both and, and the higher the prevalence, the faster it spreads. The higher the prevalence, you know, the the younger your herd gets because you start to lose older deer. So if you're somebody who's um, interested in killing big giant bucks like my buddy, Mark Kenyon is, you know, not that I'm not, don't get me wrong. We just killed a really nice one on the farm. Um, you should be concerned about CWD and you should be acting accordingly because <clears throat> what happens with CWD is that that herd tends to, when the prevalences get higher, the, the, the herd tends to get younger. Remember it's a disease that they die after two years. I had a friend um, about eight miles South of my farm killed a nubby buck last year cwd positive well that deer wasn't going to get any older because he killed it but it wasn't going to get any old it was only going to get to be a two-year-old so that right. five-year-old buck doesn't isn't going to exist in a high prevalence area anymore because or, or, or they're going to become fewer and fewer so your herd is going to trend younger over time have i scared you guys about this disease yet i mean i don't really mean to do oh that, yeah but... <laughs> every time
1: we talk about this it'll it really makes us think, and uh, like that's the one thing that we were kind of had here on the notes is like um, just you know learning, learning some of the new regulations or any type of regulations that CWD um, is going to be putting into place in Manitoba. And that's the thing that kind of scares me is like you think of like mad cow back when it came through, and in my mind there's probably like the odd farmer that had a sick cow and was like you know what I'm just going to bury this thing because I don't want to ruin it, but in reality it's like that's like the worst thing you could do and i could almost think like i just hope that there's no deer hunters that you know decide not to take their head in just because they don't want to find it or you know what i mean like they don't want to swallow that pill like you said
4: yeah so that's, the that's the kind real of, man
1: yeah like that's the scary thing for me is just like i just hope the hunters and, and whoever else um just follows the rules you know follows the regulations that might be forthcoming or whatever it may be
0: cooperation
4: yeah cooperation no doubt about it and and um you know, being supportive of your agency is important. That, that doesn't mean that, I mean, these are the best people that we've got, right? I mean, they're wildlife biologists. They're, <clears throat> they're a hell of a lot better than the guy at the end of the bar telling you what what's up with CWD. <laughs> <clears throat> or guitar players from um, Detroit or shit guys from Casanova, as far as it goes. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I don't pretend to be an expert. As I said, I'm, I can tell you that I've spent a lot of time on this and I'm living with it. And I guess that's the other thing that I would tell you is that, um... You know, when we first got it, when I mean it was first announced, we were all like, Well, now what the hell are you supposed to do? Well, I mean when we shot a deer, it's like, well, you know, what? Oh. Uh, okay, so we gotta wear gloves, we gotta do it. I mean, so that on that end, it's really important that people begin to think about two things exposing themselves and exposing the herd. Right? So I uh I wrote a piece for Mediator again where I remember the first one I found out the first deer that we had was positive. I had actually gutted it, field dressed it, whatever I'm going to call it up there. Um, we call it gutting. Them down here. Yeah. I got I gutted That deer without, I had used up, I had three, um, sets of, uh, surgical gloves and plastic shoulder sleeve liners, um, in my, my hunting kit that I, I always have with me. And I used them all up already. And I'd forgotten to replenish and I'd used them up, not just that day, but, you know, over the course of, of, of the season. And I went, oh shit, I don't have a, I don't have the stuff along. Ah, well, we haven't had a positive yet. I'll just, you know, so I got this deer out and then when the test comes back that it's positive, the first thing I did was looked at my hands. Cause I remember how bloody they were, you know, and like, did I absorb that? And. Oh, my God, do I have, am I going to get a prion-based disease? And it was I mean, you know, sort of like that first thing with COVID, like that big flush of, oh, my God, is this is going to rip through us. And we're all going to die.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you got to get over that, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and and you know, kind of realize that what, for, for what it is, it's a very serious matter. Um, I Believe me, I wear gloves and I, I do all that I can to not expose myself to the disease. I guess the beauty of being 63 years old is something's going to get me probably in the next 20, 25 years anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, I hope 25, Hell, I'm hoping for 30. I'm ho- I don't need to live as long as my dad died when he was 92. I'm hoping I'll make it to, to 92 um, at least be if I can live the way he did. But, um, because these sponge of these transferable sponge, these, these prion based disease, like, um, the certain and you know, or dementia or any of those things, right? They're there's they they take a long time to happen. I don't, and there's a lot of science that you have to be discovered about them. So, I would be most concerned about you know, exposing you know, kids to it or, mm-hmm. or you know, or that sort of thing. But, um, so I mean, I know people who are eating the meat, what if they, they get it tested and it's like, yeah, it's positive, I'm gonna eat it because after all there's never been a case of it having transferred um from from deer to humans right in, yeah. the, in the meat
0: um which is which is crazy um and i just want to talk about a bit of the fear behind that too because it, it's interesting because like it's been around for 60 years now and there's no transfer which is good but uh, man when i think about like mad cow and how they were kind of like you know, didn't know much about it. People were eating it. And now there's, I read an article somewhere saying that there's like 60,000 people in the UK that have a dormant mad cow prions in them yeah, or whatever. Just waiting know, to kick I in and, friend, and wipe a, them I have a friend, a dear friend of
4: mine, um, who's part of a project that I'm working on called Sharing the Land that we can maybe talk about another time. But, um, who was living in, um. Great Britain at that time, she can't get blood. And the reason for that is out of I mean, it's it's they're being very careful about, you know, transferring that stuff around. Um because because uh, Kreisfeld Jacob's disease, the 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 human, not the variant, which mad cow disease is, um getting down a little sciencey weeds here, but um it's transferable in that um you know surgical tools and that sort of stuff can transfer those um can transfer those prions within humans so then the question is well, what about our knives what about our, you know with, with deer well there is a species barrier seems to be it's not as robust as they once thought it was um you're probably familiar with the canadian study where the macaque monkeys were fed um meat from cwd positive deer from wisconsin many people said it was discredited and it was just wasn't complete and there's ongoing that research is ongoing and, and nothing that they have seen has changed that. Um, some of those initial, uh, uh, discoveries or conclusions that it did transfer through meat. Um, yeah, they injected it into the brains. Oh, those got it. You know I mean? There was those sort there were some other extreme examples, but, um, it's worth being concerned about that and limiting your exposure, right? So, any, I think everything in life is. Well, a lot of things in life, everything in life, um, a lot of things in life are. are, are talk, we're talking about risk um, management. So, what can we do to? um i mean you think about the things you know you it could be in a car accident so maybe we shouldn't go in the car well you know maybe we go in the car we'll drive safely and wear a seat belt so we're reducing that risk you know that's I mean, it's kind of a weird analogy but um i think it works um you know um we got a, some sick people or sick animals let's say we got sick animals around i'll tell you what i get a sick animal on the farm first thing i do is i isolate it from the rest of them. it's the same concept right there's a reason we have get- if a kid gets sick they can keep them home from school why is that i mean there's a rule about it it's not oh well, you know i decided to keep them home because they're not feeling good no you decided home damn rule at school you don't send sick kids to school we don't want to infect more right so if you if you have the sort of a common sense approach a logical approach to it i think you can get past some of the some of the fear and the concern, and then you can actually start talking about the work of actually managing the disease and doing the best thing. So I, I, I you know, I apologize. I haven't, I didn't read about what's going on, exactly what's going on in Manitoba. I just, you know, I, all I heard from you was that you had your first um, confirmed case and then, and now what, right? Well, I would, if I were sitting there um, I'd, I'd certainly, I I would certainly pay attention to the science. Um, I I know I sent you guys a thing earlier uh, about a strategy for hunters in CWD areas. Well, not all CWD areas are the same. Um, I I could send this to you, but you could also go and find it. Just Google um, Minnesota uh, CWD management plan. They actually have a zonal or phased plan. So the strategies are different uh, as you go outward from Um, where the disease is discovered. So pretty intense right around it. And then as, um, as it, when or if like this has happened in Tennessee, I thought, let me back up Tennessee, you know, they found out they had CWD. They, you know, it was discovered and then pretty quickly they figured out that they had a 15% prevalence prevalence rate. So it wasn't like, Oh, we found it last week and it must've just showed up. No, it'd been around for a while. So that's one of the first things that you all have to do out there that is to, and, and, and to get involved with the surveillance testing, um, getting your deer tested. If they have mandatory testing, don't bitch about it. Just do it. Get your, get your deer tested, help the science to figure out exactly what's going on because that's your best way of, of, you know, managing, you know, what's going on. Cause I can tell you, um, you can manage it. I'm looking at. Uh, I, I guess I was going to go back to. Let's go back to my uh, my place. Um, we've killed 125 deer in four years. We've actually killed five so far this year, and we've gotten results back on two of them, and they were negative, And they were both those are non not CWD not detected, which is a cover your ass thing. For, mm-hmm. We couldn't find it, you know. But it doesn't mean it's not necessarily there. But that's just covered. You know, they did as much as they could to to see whether it's there. We killed three bucks, um, um, a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, if I were a betting man, if you told me, which, uh, if you asked me, which one of those you think is most likely to have CWD, I'd say the two-year-old. And I'll tell you why. In the five year that we had were positive, one was a year and a half old buck. One was a year and a half old doe. There were two, two and a half year old bucks. And one three and a half year old though and she was our 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 positive last year, right at the end of the season. I was like, wow. But if you do the math, 125 deer, five positives, four percent, right? So four percent of the deer. So of those 125, with five of them, that meant 120 of them weren't positive. Mm-hmm.
3: Right.
4: You want to talk about glass half full kind of thing, right? And we changed a few years ago where we were doing, we've been killing a lot of deer for a long time. Um, trying to really raise, uh, grow oak trees. I am, you know, we were trying to, um, at one time we managed for older bucks. Um, it was sort of a, you know, deer management light. If you follow a meat eater, you know, we had to, you had to wear a hat if you shot too small of a buck. That didn't stop anybody from sh- shooting too small a buck. But it was an incur- we were encouraging the whole nice buck next year um, attitude. But what we were really doing was we were starting to balance our herd better, right? We had a, a better um, age classes of deer, sort of a spread out age classes of deer. We had, you know, maybe a little better buck to doe ratio. We were killing out a bunch of freaking does, man. And um, when we had earn buck in this state, when we, there are guys who start longing for the good old days of earnbuck where you had to kill a doe. Before you could kill a buck, hmm. you get your buck dead. Well, I don't want to have to kill. It. I only use one deer, and you know, well, and that that be a. Do- well, I want to shoot a buck. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's just gonna to have to help give up on that idea. Well, there was a small, noisy group of people who stopped that, um, and and so the DNR didn't. Most of the the measures that were really effective, DNR didn't stop them. They were that the power to be able to do it was taken away from them by the politicians. So that's one of the other, be supportive of your of your agency people. These are the folks who are trying to do it. I mean, that doesn't mean you don't question them and want to know, explain this to me and question them about it. You know, it's, it's that, I mean, part of it is the education process to them, but it's also the education process. You can go to places like uh, cwdinfo.org, um, the USGS Wildlife Health Center to get real information about it. Um, I would never Google something, the truth about chronic wasting disease, because that would probably, I've never done it, but you know, anytime (laughs) you say the truth about something, it probably ends up being total bullshit. Um, um, you know, conspiracy theory kind of stuff. So follow the science on it and understand that it's not a, you can, you, you can have a, a heck of a, um, you can continue to hunt deer, hunt, hunt safely, um, feel good about the meat that you're feeding your family Um, feel good about the conservation work you're doing to, to protect the health of that deer. But you really, you you know, you have to get on board with the, with the programs. Um, And that is to, to, I, as I said, I didn't look at the, at what your, um, your natural resources folks are doing, but um, I'd sure as hell put my faith in them before I would put it in uh, you know, somebody who maybe has a a different interest in mind, like a financial one.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, We've, we've had uh, some pretty rigorous uh, laws in place for mandatory testing in uh, areas that they thought the CWD might come into. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of where they found it. Um, Now uh, I guess there, there's probably, I'm, imagine going to be a little bit of shift in things and you talk about policies, regulations, and attitudes. So, and you, you've, you've harped on this quite a bit too, is, and, and, just like hunters have to, and well, everybody involved here is going to have to kind of toe the line. And if they want to be, you know, successful in managing the disease now that what is what we're doing. Um, and Ah, uh, forgive me, Sheldon, if I'm hopping ahead of your your agenda here a little bit, but you know, Doug, you've you've, you've spoken a lot about kind of what what uh, the state has done and and kind of where you guys are at in managing the deer populations and how how that has um, an effect on the disease management. Uh, but I know last time you you were on the podcast, uh, you said something and. I just seen a pop up on your Instagram again, either today or a couple of days ago about, uh, the old saying, you know, there are people that go out there and do shit. There are people <laughs> who sit back yeah. and watch shit happen. And there are people that are sitting there wondering what the hell happened.
4: Yeah.
0: Now you, you are definitely a doer kind of tell us, you know, should we all be doers here? What can we do? Besides, just uh, you know, I guess the basics is, is what it comes down to is the 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 reporting and the, the testing.
4: Well, that's a lot, man. You know, um, getting on board with with getting your deer tested, making it as easy as possible, making that effort to get it done. I mean, we what happened in Wisconsin when when they kind of rolled up the carpet on on doing this. On, on managing the disease, that's when I kind of got involved. And i like, well, wait a minute. You know, the disease didn't go away. The fund, so there was some funding loss and people got moved out of their offices. Um, and it was just sort of like, oh, oh, we don't have to think about that anymore. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> um, we weren't even doing basic stuff like um, proper disposal. It's an easy thing to do, man.
1: Now, Can I stop you there for a minute, Doug? Sure. Like when you talk about proper disposal, um, and you mentioned it on the last time you're on the episode, but can you you guys have some stuff in place like is it like basically like garbage bins where all the deer get placed in these bins and then they get disposed of? What are those things you guys are doing in Wisconsin? And maybe that's something that we can be looking at doing here or even starting to do it here, so we're ahead of the game if it ever comes into certain areas of Manitoba.
4: Well, that's a good question. Um I have a question for you before I answer that one. Now. Sure. And that is, have, have you guys had deer tested? Any animals tested yet? I... Uh, I haven't yes, personally, sir, yes. no. Yeah. Well, so my question is, how long is it taking for you to get results back? It, I mean, it, when, they, when they... You send your... And you can understand what is the problem, right? I mean, you're already thinking about what the hell it is that I'm going to say. Yeah. If yeah. I got to wait a month, To find out whether my deer is positive or negative, that's problematic. In Wisconsin, we're getting our results in seven to 10 days. And in good weather, that's just right about the amount of time you want to let that thing hang, right? And Let it hang. Um, And a lot of guys, like I'm doing, are setting up coolers that you can skin them, hang them, and wait. And then you make a decision about whether you're going to eat it or not. And I know guys who, like I said, you know, Positive deer and they eat them anyway, and I'm like, okay, well at least you're getting them tested. And by the way, will you let DNR know that you're one of the people that's eating positive deer, because <laughs> in case you well. And I don't mean I, I know it sounds funny, because, but at the same time, it's right. Well, oh, let's man. let's yeah, I see that you know I mean let's in his obituary and he you know he yeah. Well, I'll
0: tell you, you know what, what I mean? our 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 kind of I got a couple of different uh, buddies that deer hunt with, and and our rituals are either a eat the eat the liver, uh, the night of the kill or eat the tenderloin on the night of a kill. So that's going to be, uh, you know, when things come down the pipe here, a a shift in, in our, uh, post, post harvest rituals, you
4: have to make that decision, right? I'm not telling you, telling you what to do that or not do that. You have to make Mm -hmm. that decision. Am I going to eat meat from a potentially positive deer? Okay. Am I going to eat meat from a potentially positive deer? Well, if you've only got a one or two percent prevalence rate in your area, chances are your deer doesn't have it, right? It's you know ninety-eight out of a hundred won't. Um, uh, and then you can decide about that. You know, you can decide about that. And you know, it's not like okay, well, we all know this is possible, and if you want to go ahead, then and, and go ahead. I mean, you got to make that decision. Personally, I haven't eaten meat from a I have not knowingly eaten meat from a CWD positive deer. If you want to know, and people ask me that all the time. You, I said, no, um, the positive that's positives that we have had were either, uh, I mean, oddly, the one that I killed that I told you in my hands were all bloody, um, a buddy of mine said, Oh, I'll take that deer. Um, cause it was later in the season and, you know, and I, would shoot, I think I, well, I told you I'd run through three kits. I'd already butchered three, Three deer, and we were group hunting. And he goes, Well, I'll take the deer. And um results came back, and I said, Hey, uh, deer was positive. He goes, Yeah, okay. He ate it, you know. Um that one I know for sure, all of the rest of them were discarded. Um and so you can you can have to everybody's got to make that decision for, for themselves, right? It's sort of like, um, how what's your aversion to risk? You know, or mm-hmm. what's your, I mean, how much risk is there? And you can make that decision yourself. I mean, I don't disagree with people who say, um, I don't disagree with people who say, well, geez, it's too bad that that meat's going to waste. Well, you know, when I look in the dumpster out there at the farm, and I look in there and go, you know, it's too bad that meat's going to waste. There, I'd like to see people do a better job of cleaning up and butchering their deer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I'm surprised that, um, I mean, a lot of them are really nice and really well done, you know, and others it's like back straps and hands, you know? Oof. Um. Yeah, it's, it's. and um, Anyway. So you can make that, that's a decision that you can make. And that will, will that have an impact on your um, um, traditions? Sure. But, but you're doing that with your eyes wide open, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing here.
0: I think uh, I kind of got us a little sidetracked here, but we should circle back around to, to Sheldon's question about the uh, the uh,
4: oh, disposal, disposal
0: oh, yeah. that, that you've been doing.
4: Okay. So there's a hierarchy of disposal. Um, and if you, you guys out in that big country, um, and out West, you know, I mean, imagine you kill an elk and you got a you got a four mile pack out or whatever, you know, are you going to dispose of the spinal column and the, you know, probably not, but I can tell you this, the first thing that you can do is leave the carcass on the land where you killed it. Okay. That's like the lowest level. That's like. Okay, it's not even good, <laughs> but it's um it's okay because you know if that deer was on that had CWD and the land that it was killed on, there's CWD on that land. So at least you're not taking it to a new place, right? It's staying there. That's the first one. Second one is you you keep it on that land. You dig a hole and you bury it. Third one, you know, good, better, best what we're doing in Wisconsin, um, you know, and I've been pretty heavily involved with it and did fundraising and stuff is that we have, um, carcass, uh, disposal dumpsters. Um, I don't know what your traditions are like out there if you're, how you're, you know, hauling deer around and doing that kind of stuff, but deer tend to get butchered pretty close to where they get killed around here. And, um, you know, there's a lot of guys who do their you know, self butchering and you know and that kind of stuff. And then there are places that there's lockers and then just sort of um you know there's USDA uh, inspected lockers and that kind of stuff who do deer processing. But then it seems like every deer season there's always places that pop up. We do we'll butcher your deer for you. Well, <clears throat> as long as those guys are you know properly disposing of their bones and stuff like that. It used to be around here, and I wouldn't. Used to be around here, what people did was they took it in the back of the truck and, and um, like, we had a spot out on the farm where we just, that's where we put our our bones and the coyotes and, the, you know, the various scavengers and raptors and everything came down and, and um, you know, they cleaned them up, gave it back to nature. Seems like a good natural thing to do, right? Made nothing but sense to us. Well, it doesn't make sense if you're in a place where that, spinal column and brain and, you know, all the stuff that you're throwing out is highly infected And that animal. Let's use a coyote as an example. Um, Eat some of that infected meat. And as a coyote travels across the landscape, at some point what went, went in the front of that coyote is going to come out of the back end of it. Right. And that um, it studies have shown that that uh, feces has, is carrying the prion and it doesn't affect the, didn't affect the, um, the coyote, you know, yeah, I mean, didn't didn't cross species or anything, but it moved it around, okay? So that's one of the things. Um, so if you can limit the amount of exposure, sort of like, I, used to, I was talking to a politician the other day, and I was like, imagine this. You're in a place where people are sick, and everybody's blowing their nose into a handkerchief, and they're just throwing it on the floor. And, like, the floor gets covered with, snot nose handkerchiefs and nobody's picking those up and then somebody says well we start picking them." people are picking them up i mean you've got the infectious material around you know again it's sort of common sense we don't you know you know people (laughs) um emergency responders and doctors and everybody's i mean everybody's covering up to keep the the and and then they discard of they discard whatever material it is um you know blood whatever it happens to be You discard of it properly. You dispose of it properly. And in Wisconsin, what that means is you put it into a dumpster that has a heavy plastic liner in it. And that gets taken to a certified um, landfill where it's dumped in a special section covered with clay. And what they've learned is that the prion doesn't move out of the clay. So it's concentrated in one spot and it's kept there. Um, So... I think a disposal program is a good thing. And there's a lot of things that come from that. I have a, Wisconsin has a program called Adopt a Dumpster and Adopt a Kiosk. So on my farm, I have a kind of was one of the first people that was doing the dumpster thing. We raised a bunch of money um, and just had you know, dumpsters around our county because it only made sense to me. There was no place to get, you know, the the DNR wasn't doing anything like that. So it was like, well, this kind of makes sense. And I was just trying to, part of it was to raise awareness about it too. And that's one of the things that has really happened is that my little, my dumpster out there, we've got five dumpster locations in the county and we have, um, and we have uh, more, uh, about the same amount of, um, kiosks are places where you can get um, deer tested. Those are places where people talk about, you know, there's some, we have brochures about CWD there and all that, but I talk to a lot of people at those places too. People have really basic questions, some of the stuff that you guys have answered, and then the, the conversation gets more complex, just like this one has. Um, and <clears throat> landowner to landowner, hunter to hunter, um, conversations often carry you know a lot of weight um, I guess I've got some reputation for being a conservationist and when I say things I talk to people about this stuff some will you know want to ask more questions and I'm happy to you know have the discussion but trying to lead in that that way so we started this dumpster program um, had if we had a really quick test like I knew in three days, Two days whatever um if we could if we had a test that happened pretty quick that that would be i'd still want it to be administered by by the agency not just every jack and Will's got one in his pocket you know um so that they could still get the, the data and the information that they need but if we knew that right away some of those carcasses wouldn't have to be you know put into the dumpster i mean still you want to do that i had a guy pull in he didn't give a shit about cwd um, you know, he, he since has by three years ago, he was like, that's still only sounded like Homer Simpson. You know, CWD, that stuff's still around. And, um, I <laughs> said, yeah, man, it sure is. And here's the thing. Well, now he's, you know, working, working pretty hard, um, you know, to, to do what we can to control his disease. farm kid. He, I mean, well, he was a farm kid. He's a farm old man like me now, but that kind of mental that kind of attitude, um, uh, we were able to make some of those changes in, in people's attitude about it just by it's like, wow, Durin's concerned about it. Um, I told a guy this a couple days ago, and he was like, I don't believe you. I can't believe you're doing that. We have the ability to hang our carcasses, as I said, until we find out whether they're positive. If it's a positive one, the carcass goes into the dumpster. And if it's not, we butcher it, bone it, do everything that we do. And then we take that carcass out and put it out on the landscape. Because, why wouldn't you, yeah. right? I mean, that's what we used to do. But this guy, or the guy, the Homer Simpson guy, says to me, he goes, "Well, you know, it's it's really nice having this because, well, you know, you just hate to see all those carcasses ended up in the ditches out in the country, which kind of told me where he had been throwing his previous to bringing <laughs> it to the dumps. Yeah. But you know, so there's that benefit of it too. Our public land parking lots used to be littered with carcasses; and they're just not anymore. So there's that additional benefit to it too, right? That you don't have non-hunting people like seeing parts of deer laying around when they pull in to take a, h- a walk with their dog.
0: I'm yeah. uh, I'm I'm curious here, Doug, and I know uh, we we've had you on the line for quite a while, but um, while we're on the dumpster topic um, and disposal of, of uh, these positive deer and, and such, um, I I know the 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 brain and the spinal column are kind of like the the epicenter and the the highly um, they hold most of the, the infected material. But um, are you concerned at all about like uh, field dressing or getting these deer and leaving it that on the land? Or do you have a special spot Do you do that on your property? Well, what are your thoughts around that.
4: I got a dumpster in my place. We can put it right into it. You there know? you go. I mean, yeah, true. Usually our deer are pretty um, close. I mean, it's six 600- hundred. Forty acres and or six hundred plus acres, and so it's not that difficult for us to gut them and you know take the guts and dump them in there, and we do that most of the time, Um, but we don't do it all the time. And again, that's sort of a risk reduction. You know, it's sort of like the attitude of, um, and some people say, "Well, I can't believe if you're going to do it, do it." You know, and I'm like, "Okay." Let me let me put it this way. Let's say I had a hundred thousand dollar debt, and somebody um, offered to give me eighty thousand dollars to pay that debt, that much of that debt. Should my response be, "Well, if you're not going to give it to me all, I don't want it"? Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it's just it just seems ridiculous to me to think about it like that. So it's risk reduction. The more we can do, the better we better job we can do. Taking um, Brian, my friend Brian Richards at USGS, calls. Uh, Proper disposal, low-hanging fruit. It's something everybody can do, right?
2: Uh-huh.
4: Um, I mean, I, I'm not advocating for this, but I can tell you that I know people who have put deer parts into their into their trash out on the curb, um, knowing full well that's going to end up in a licensed landfill. Right. Um, apparently, there are some places that, well, that there's some haulers that won't, if they know it's deer parts, they won't take it. Well, guess what? In Wisconsin, there's um, a lot of landfills that won't take it either. And those tend to be private ones. And they're worried about, I don't know what they're worried about, um, liability or whatever. And as a friend of mine who's in the solid waste disposal business said, well, there's a hell of a lot worse stuff going into the landfill than,
2: yeah. you
4: know, some possibly infected deer parts. And that's the other part of it, it's possibly infected, right? I'll give you an example. Um Last year I was responsible for five dumpsters. So I raised the funds and paid for five dumpsters and then DNR does a certain amount of reimbursement on that. Um, The cost was um, about 40, almost $5,000 when you figure everything into it. But those five dumpsters average about 200 deer in each one, deer carcasses one. So I'm just keeping the math simple here for me. Um, so that's a thousand deer, right? A thousand carcasses that went into there. In a, in a county where, in an area where um, the percentage of deer tested that are testing positive is about 20%, we kept 200 carcasses off the landscape.
2: Really? I mean, you
4: can extrapolate that number, right? Yeah, yeah. And so if you think about, um, I remember there was like this Mr. Clean commercial or something when I was a kid, and they would show you like all these spots that were on your counter. And But then when you use Mr. Clean or whatever it was, there were hardly any of them on there anymore. What's well, the same idea, right? So there's still going to be some, but we're getting most of it. Mm-hmm. And the more of it you can get, the slower it spreads. The slower it spreads, the more time we have. For science to do something. So I also like to say, I don't want to reduce things to bumper stickers. All this talking I do and I, I say stuff like it's not ours, it's just our turn. If you don't have it, you don't want it. If you do have it, you want as little as possible. And that leads to buy time and pay for science. So slow the spread. Let's get funding. Continue to support research and funding to, to figure out what the hell this is and, uh, and how we can how we can stop it. Is a silver bullet ever going to happen? I don't know. But in the meantime, we need to do everything that we can to um, to slow the spread of this disease, to um, control its prevalence in areas where it exists, and secure the future of hunting and the wonderful resource that we have by doing that.
3: Yeah, for
1: sure. Um yeah like kind of chase was saying i don't think we want to take up too much of your time we've touched on a lot of good things but maybe we'll just end this uh, conversation off a little round table uh, and chase maybe if you have anything you want to ask or reflect on before we let doug go and then doug can do the same and i'll follow up at the end
0: i just want to say thanks to doug for uh, taking time out of our, your your deer hunting season here to sit down and have a chat with us i know uh my days of the week are pretty limited to to when i can uh take a night off and and uh sit down and have a conversation and commit some time. So big thanks there. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, to put things in a nutshell that what we talked about today, the, the biggest moves for us going forward here are going to be just, uh, managing, we're doing management tactics here. If, if, uh, if we can't eradicate, you know, spreading, having conversations, spreading the word, following the regulations and supporting and and supporting the the dnr and the resources and and all that is is what we're going to be looking at here
1: yeah yeah for sure doug do you got anything else there
0: well
4: yeah you know one of the questions you guys asked me before it was well it was like when it first happened and it was sort of like as i said when covid first happened saying oh my god what are we going to do with this and the more time has passed the less the more we know you know Information is really important and good information is really important. So make sure that you go to USGS Wildlife Health Center, um, cwdinfo.org. Those kinds of National Deer Association here in the U.S., great sources of information about chronic wasting disease. You can go to my website, dougburn.com. I have a section on there about CWD and it links to some of those articles that I've written. Um, We need to do some updating there. I was waiting for some... Some more information, but I do. I should be doing some updating there. Um, that's a good place to to look because all I'm really doing is directing you to, to reputable sources based on um, you know on science. Um, and and you know, I, but don't freak out about it. You know, it's like it's like um, it's something that you know. It's it, you have it, it. You can manage it. Um, and uh, the number one thing you need to do is keep hunting
1: yeah keep on yeah like and probably just echoing both your you guys's words here for the end for myself but like just from this conversation we've had tonight there's a few things that i would put in perspective for anybody that's listening from manitoba or anywhere else that's a cwd spot is like do those little things like uh, doug was saying those low-lying fruits even if it's uh you know um like i notice on. Uh, on your strategy for, for hunting in CW areas, like mentoring a hunt, get more people hunting and, and talk to your landowners and get good relationships with them and be responsible to where you're hunting. So people will let you hunt and get hunting. So, but again, Doug, uh, thanks for coming on last minute. It's, it's been a really awesome time having you on. There's lots of information. Keep doing what you're doing. Cause we, uh, we appreciate you every, every step of the way.
4: I Um, I appreciate you guys right back and I'll, I'll I'll keep an eye on it and if uh you know we can let's just stay in touch and um I wish you all the best, you know.
1: Right on. Thanks, man. You got to take away as much as you can from that podcast episode. And the one thing that I am going to mention is because I do a lot of social media surfing if it's Instagram, Facebook, TikTok or other things is if you're in Manitoba don't be baiting. I mean like it's one of those things like I know there's some people that may do it there's some or whatever. Let's try to just like all be on the same page here and not bait because A it's illegal and B you just shouldn't be doing it. Um but yeah, that episode it really made made me think about a lot of different things. Chase, I know you've had um a lot of uh, conversations around CWD within the past podcast and in this one. But if there's one thing that you're going to change in maybe your hunting tactic, uh, going into deer camp uh, tomorrow, what are you going to do differently? Are you going to do something differently? Are you going to pull that low hanging fruit?
0: I'm going to feel less guilty about shooting small bucks. I'll tell you that much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go. And That's the thing is like, you know, even if you, if you can't really think of like, what can I do? for cwd and it, all it could be is just that conversation around the campfire at camp right like get your yep. buddies involved and get and tell them and maybe they'll ask questions and you can help help educate
0: yeah i've, I've been practicing t- to manage this uh, disease here for quite a few years now <laughs> 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 you I just have
1: this huge speech after you shoot the spiker bucket yeah exactly so I was talking to this guy and he yeah.
0: said and you know what that's that that's gonna be part of it um I know I know there's a lot of people out there that that do want to do good and and do want to, uh help out with the disease and do do their part and I think uh one of the huge things is just having conversations around it and being proactive in that sense so if you are listening and trying to figure out you know what can I actually do? Go have a conversation with uh, not only hunters but farmers, landowners, and uh, anyone in the industry, really.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Anybody else is looking to maybe um, to help us out, um, support our podcast, like we've t- told um, you listeners in the past, is go into your to your platform, if it's iTunes or Spotify or whatever area or whatever. <laughs> way you listen to our podcast give us a rating and leave us a comment every time you do that it kind of like gives us a little better rating and it bumps us up and it gets us to get great guests like dug on um and and it makes us basically have this program that will last a lot longer than a flash in the pan so thank you everyone that has commented and rated us and please just do us a favor and just go over there give us a five star and leave us a comment and if you're looking to support us in any other way there's always our store we have a um, all of our merch is up and we're ready for Christmas. Just about, we're just waiting on our toques and some youth hats, but we got all of our crew necks in stock. I think of all sizes, we got blaze hoodies. If anybody wants that, uh, last minute blaze hoodie for rifle season, I'm pretty sure if you put an order in right away, you'd have it for the last week of hunting season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course we got all our regular sweaters and our hats. We got some buffs left over our moose necks, um, decals. We got a lot of stuff in there, so check it out. And, um, Yeah, let us know what you think.
0: Yep, get your thinking Christmas, get your Christmas shopping done right now too. We got everything for everyone in the family. These uh, crew neck sweaters are super comfy, super, oh, I can't talk, super comfy, and uh, they look just awesome.
1: Yeah, and the crew necks on women are like, women that wear our crew necks look like rockets. Any of you (laughs) women that are listening out there, you want to look like a rocket? Throw Throw on one of our like green crew necks. Wow, top 10.
0: There you go. Fashion tips from Sheldon. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. And uh, let us know what you thought about this episode, whether that's on Instagram, uh, Facebook, or email, DM, or on the platform that you're listening to us through. And with that in mind, keep your powder dry, keep your knife sharp, and uh, keep your gloves on when you're getting that deer.
1: Cue the music.